All right, welcome back to another episode of The Signal. I'm Martha DeGrasse, here for Wi-Fi Alliance. These are meant to be smart conversations with industry leaders where we try to bring you the inside track on the latest Wi-Fi developments. And today I am delighted to be joined by Ravi Pensi. He is VP for IT and CIO at the University of Michigan. Ravi, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Martha. Thank you for having me. And it's a privilege and pleasure to be with you. Well, we invited you here today because the University of Michigan is the first university in the nation to deploy Wi-Fi 6E throughout two of your campuses, actually, Ann Arbor and Dearborn. So that's the main thing we're going to talk about today. But I think to sort of set the stage for the kind of numbers of people that you're serving with your Wi-Fi, it would be great if you could give us a little bit of an overview of these campuses I know you said you're welcoming 46,000 kids to campus over the next few days, and about 15,000 of those are actually going to be living on campus. But give us a quick overview of the size of this institution. It's definitely one of the biggest universities in the United States. No, no, I appreciate that, Martha. Thank you again for the opportunity. So if I may take a step back, as I indicated to you, um, you know, I serve as the vice president for IT and CIO. And in that role, I see myself as uh, working for all of these great students we talked about. I see myself as working for them, working for our faculty and our staff. And my overall responsibility is really to provide strategic direction for information technology on all of our campuses. You mentioned Dearborn, you mentioned Ann Arbor, and of course our Flint campus. If I may digress just a little bit, I joined University of Michigan back in August of 2018. After I joined, after consulting colleagues across campus uh, through consensus-driven process, we established uh, really five high-level priorities and areas of focus for IT at Michigan. So what are they? And this is where they connect with our Wi-Fi 6C later on. One is around enabling data-informed decision-making. As you know, when we talk about research, and Michigan does about $1.6 billion of research each year, it is the number one public university in terms of research productivity. A lot of that research occurs because of generation of data and wisdom that is derived from that data. So we want to enable data-informed decision-making all across campus. That's one of our priorities. The other one is, of course, elevating the customer experience, supporting our brilliant students, making sure that students are able to connect to that Wi-Fi 6E and provide them the right kind of connectivity and right kind of experience as they download all the software that we provide. Delivering interior research computing solutions. We have a fabulous, fabulous research computing center that provides amazing dream team-like services to our faculty members, so providing that. Anytime you talk about internet and anytime you talk about connectivity, anytime you talk about digital tools, we have to be worried about security. And in university environment, we are an open university, meaning people can bring any device, connect to network. We don't block any ports because we feel that blocking stifles innovation. So how do you maintain that openness while securing such an open society? So security is always a challenge. So that's one of our priorities. Last but not the least, building a transformational network. This building of this transformational network involves obviously building a core network. It involves building an edge network. That's where Wi-Fi 6E comes in. And it involves providing the right kind of bandwidth just in time so our great researchers are able to move their data in quickest possible way. So as you look at all of that, and as you look at how we support our 63,000 plus students, 46,000 of those who are on our campus, our 9,000 plus faculty member, our 36,000 plus staff members, a budget of $11 billion, 
And as I indicated to you, number one public research university in the world, you do that by collaboration. One great thing about Michigan is we have about 2,800 IT staff colleagues who work with passion to support our researchers, who work with passion to support our students, who work with tremendous amount of respect and responsibility to support our staff members so that they can get their job done. And all of that comes together. The glue holding this all together is, of course, the right kind of technology, just-in-time technology. Our goal is to meet our researchers, our staff members, our faculty where they are. So we are user-centric. We are focused on providing for their needs and focused on continuing to improve those needs. Thanks, Ravi. Can you tell us a little bit more about your edge network deployment? I think the edge can mean a lot of different places and a lot of different architectures for different people. So explain to us, please, what your edge network looks like. Sure, absolutely. When we talk about edge network, that's how our faculty members, our staff and students are using their mobile devices and other devices connect to our network. So obviously we have both wired networks for the edge and we have the Wi-Fi network for the edge. So when there was time for upgrade, uh, we decided to upgrade the Wi-Fi network to Wi-Fi 6E. And the reason we decided to do that was because we noticed over a period of time, I'm sure you've noticed it, your listeners have noticed it, that these days, most of the time, people used Wi-Fi network and they will use wired network only if they have to. So the paradigm is different. Only a few years ago, five, six years ago, people primarily used a wired network and they used right. Wi-Fi if they had to. It's completely turned around now. So everybody wants Wi-Fi. So we needed to give our researchers and others, we talked about that data, right? Ability to move enormous amount of data, ability to have four, 500 students in a classroom, potentially connected via Zoom, sharing their screens and recording movies and all the projects that they need to do simultaneously. So as we looked at those needs, we decided to upgrade that Wi-Fi network to Wi-Fi 6E, and that involved actually installing about 16,000 access points across uh, 225 wow. plus buildings, both in Ann Arbor and Dearborn campus. And we will- And about how much square foot square footage is that covering? So I think, uh, uh, j uh, j I can give you just the idea of the Ann Arbor campus. Uh -huh. Just the okay. Ann Arbor campus itself is about 37 million square feet. Oh my goodness. Yes, yeah, so it's quite, it's I mean- the, and and is the, it all covered? Did you, yeah, or correct, not all Yes, ev everything is covered. And the size of overall the university itself is about uh, 2,200 acres and counting. Uh, so it's, it's a very large institution. So that's why we had to have 16,000 access points deployed. And we were able to do that under eight months, which was pretty impressive. Our idea of providing this network was providing that pervasive connectivity that we talked about in all academic research, administrative buildings, residence halls, as well as some of the outdoor locations, including some of the locations in our giant football stadium. Uh, Michigan boasts one of the largest American football stadium in the country and world. It sits about 109,000 people. It's a very large stadium, so obviously the Wi-Fi does not cover all of the stadium yet. Sometime down the line, that's what we're moving towards, but it does cover many of the areas there as well. That's the scope of the project, actually. Done under eight months, 16,000 plus access points, and it, it was done intentionally because what we're hoping to do is as we can provide significant enhancement in the Wi-Fi bandwidth that people are able to leverage, then we know that we are not going to need as many wired connection. So our goal is to actually reduce the number of wired connections, enabling us to not have as many switches in our wiring closets. And if we don't have those switches in wiring closets, then we generate less electronic waste 
and uh, that helps us move towards and meet many of our sustainability goals. Very interesting. Good point. So you said you did this in eight months. Can you talk a little bit about how you minimized outages for your population while you were switching over to this from your previous system? No, absolutely. And the key there was a lot of collaboration, a collaboration between all of the different buildings that we were working on. Because when you think about residence halls, for example, yeah. uh, that's people's homes, right? Running a university is like running a city. So people are actually living in their homes and you can just walk in whenever you feel like and say, hey, we're going to go in your house and change something. So you have to coordinate, right? So we had to coordinate with our student affairs office, residence uh, life office, and work with the students and their dorm rooms to say, hey, when can we come? When is the most convenient to you? And then based on that, appropriately make sure that the equipment is in hand right on time and then deploy the equipment. When we deployed the equipment, we used a lot of automation. So our idea was that while the new access point was being deployed, the old access point will continue to work. And as soon as the new access point is deployed, it will self-configure itself by connecting with the controller and self-configure and will be up and running in a few minutes and the old access point will continue working until we physically disconnect it. All of that process was automated. As a result, people saw very little downtime. Maybe downtime might have been a minute or two. And we, were, we had warned people that, uh, and it's always a good idea to warn people that there may be up to 30 minutes downtime. And when there's only one minute, people don't even notice it. That's managing expectations right as part of the project. So that's what we did. We depended on tremendous amount of automation and technical talent of our teams to ensure that everything was set up so that the new access points, as soon as they're put on the network, self-configured themselves and started providing service immediately within a few minutes. That's amazing. Obviously, you have academics, classroom settings, a giant stadium, but this deployment could have many lessons that can be learned by other settings, such as large office campuses or entertainment venues, casinos, things like that. Can you highlight maybe some of the the key learnings from your experience here? Uh, Absolutely. Happy to. Like I said, first of all, I always say anytime you have a project of this magnitude, it takes a village to get it to a point where it is successful. So it was a lot of project management and a lot of uh, communication with the campus community, making sure that everybody was aware of what's happening, uh, which buildings are being updated when, when would their building be updated. So we had an active website that kept updating different things. We had even a chart there that showed 85% done, 60% done, keeping people informed, almost gamified that website so people were aware. Each time a building was completed, we always had little small celebrations to talk about that and thanking staff and others. And it was a partnership with a variety of different stakeholders, because there were many, uh, to make sure their needs were being accommodated. So it's really, really important to have that technology is one thing, but really working with people and that change management becomes extremely critical and absolutely necessary as you manage some of these things. The other thing uh, we had to do was recognize that university, as I indicated to you, operates much like a city rather than a single enterprise. So making sure that what works in residence halls may not necessarily work in classrooms and gymnasiums. So making sure that we had a complete survey of all the areas where our old Wi-Fi was deployed. And from experience, we knew what the problems were, so we were already aware of that. And working with our vendor partners, managing the supply chain challenges. So when the equipment wasn't there, so what did we do? Well, that's the time when we did pre-survey of all the sites. So we were ready. Goal was when the equipment arrives, 
it's going to be deployed in a day or less. And so we were ready to do that. But all of that required a lot of planning and many, many passionate and dedicated people to work in partnership with each other. So any enterprise that is thinking about this kind of deployment, and I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir here, uh, needs to understand that it is about technology, but it's really about people because you're impacting people's lives. And we are so dependent on connectivity these days that people think of it as a utility, that it's always there. And so you have to ensure that you minimize downtime. And if there is going to be downtime, you need to work with your stakeholders to ensure that the impact of the downtime is minimized as little as possible. Absolutely. Okay, so it sounds like you navigated the supply chain issues pretty well. Were there any other challenges that came up, any unexpected challenges that you want to highlight? Certainly. University of Michigan is a 200-plus-year-old institution, right? So we have certain buildings which are beautiful, just absolutely stunning. If you happen to visit our our campus, uh, you can check them out. Happy to give you a tour. And some of the buildings uh, required installing access points. We have 35-foot ceilings over a tiered classroom. So you have to make sure that aesthetics are maintained that your access point doesn't make the aesthetics look bad. So we had to make sure that the access points were tucked in the attics behind the walls. Also, we have many historic buildings. We have an Olympic-sized pool. So how do you install access points over an Olympic-sized pool? So we had to have them on the right kind of rooftops. We have them hidden in light posts, for example. And so we had to do a lot of that type of work. Another interesting thing that happened besides aesthetics is We have some buildings where, because of the type of research that go on, that anything that's in the building has to be completely sterilized because of the type of research that goes on, especially in our medical facilities. So we had to make sure that the access points that were going in that building were housed in special sterilized boxes before they were installed. So a lot of different things. This could not have happened without partnering with, as I said, a lot of the building facilities managers We worked with architects of the buildings, especially historic buildings, because with historic buildings comes responsibility. So you can't just go and start drilling holes in a historic building. So partnering with architects, partnering with facilities managers, and ensuring that everything was properly set up and connected was important. So it required lots of coordination and collaboration and passionate people coming around the cause, which was, hey, we want to deploy Wi-Fi 6E so that our campus gets enhanced bandwidth, enhanced connectivity, and more. Great. So you've explained how you had to make your access points accommodate the needs of one of your research facilities. But what about the ways that Wi-Fi 6E is supporting R&D? You mentioned a $1.6 billion R&D budget. So how is Wi-Fi 6E supporting that? I think one of the ways it is supporting that, first of all, as you know, with uh, Wi-Fi 6E, you get additional 6 gigahertz band, right? And Mm -hmm. with that additional 6 gigahertz band, instead of uh, the 28 channels, you have access to many more channels. I think almost, I think 87 channels. You have access to 87 channels because of 6 gigahertz band. It is our expectation that as new clients come with Wi-Fi 6E cards and slowly they're coming, what will happen is that will allow many researchers to move the data at incredibly high speeds without interfering with each other because of number of channels that are simply available. So that's where it supports that research. We have a special building dedicated to robotics. It's a robotics research building. And in that building, along with people, robots have a need to connect to network and to central controller. 
and the robots frankly have many more bandwidth requirements because central controller is communicating with robots where robots go up and down the steps and robots are doing some interesting work. The amount of data that they consume and amount of data they share back with the controller is enormous. So that's where having this Wi-Fi 6E providing multiple connecting channels is going to be huge. Simply the fact that it's gonna be three to five times faster allows us to meet our growing data needs uh, for fast and secure connections to our um, robotics building and other similar buildings where that type of work is going on. What I feel in this case is that we want this Wi-Fi 6E and overall 6E to continue to expand and support Wi-Fi because, you know, we believe in using this unlicensed spectrum because there are inherent benefits for research. We wish to support continuous adoption of this full spectrum, really not just in the U.S., but throughout the world, because the more it is used, then more devices will be developed that support Wi-Fi 6E. So it benefits everyone. You made a conscious choice to really focus on unlicensed for this, because a lot of the things that you're describing obviously could have been done with licensed spectrum, but that might have been costlier, right? Correct. Plus uh, having Wi-Fi 6E devices expanding this unlicensed bandwidth, which allows more central control as opposed to carriers controlling it is much more uh, user-centric in terms of uh, things we want to do, whether it's robotics labs or other areas. And so that's where we're focused on. That's why we we are definitely advocates of opening up that spectrum because the U.S. has already allowed it, but some parts of the world are not quite there yet and either moving in that direction, but it will take time. But I, uh-huh. I do believe that uh, that will actually help because, you know, frankly, the last time this spectrum was expanded, it was 20 years ago. The time is now and it's right. And looking at how everybody around the world is working, especially even after pandemic, which dramatically changed, right? Uh, we are very mobile. We are very connected. And Wi-Fi is something we rely on to do, literally support every part of our life. So it's about living. It's about enhancing uh, humankind. It's about uh, discovering those new drugs to support humankind. All of that, it can be supported by the right kind of connectivity. For sure. Now, what about specifically in the classroom setting? Can Wi-Fi 6E support any of the augmented or virtual reality applications that we hear more and more about in the classroom? Absolutely. And, And, you know, we do a lot with AR and VR in many of our classrooms where, if nothing else, we learned a powerful use of those type of techniques during the pandemic, where, for example, you could potentially operate on a simulated cadaver using AR and VR. If you're a medical student, for example, and having this kind of connectivity is huge. The other thing that we have noticed is in our large classrooms, sometimes what professors will do, even though you may be in person, they will actually, while you're in person, they may deploy an application like Zoom or any other video conferencing application that one wants to use, and then deploy a video conferencing application allowing different students to share their screens and make their presentations, uh, which means we need to have in a large classroom, there could be three, 400 students, and they all have their laptops, they're all connected, they're all running a video conferencing application, and on demand from a faculty member, they are sharing their screens to the entire class. It just brings classroom even closer together. Yeah, I think all of us that have kids have seen how that works the past few years, and it is amazing. Okay, one last thing I wanted to touch on. I also want to find out if you've got anything else that you want to share that we haven't talked about, but one thing that you mentioned before we started was uh, an accident that you unfortunately had. It looks like you're going to be fine, but you are dealing with one arm only now because you've got a shattered elbow, right? And you mentioned that this has really opened your eyes to the accessibility issues around tech 
And uh, I thought that was a really interesting thing to share. If you have a minute, it would be great if you could tell us some of the things that you've learned because you're definitely in a position to kind of make use of what you've learned from this experience. No, no, I appreciate that and I appreciate the kind words. Uh, yeah, so I uh, did have an accident and I wish I could say that uh, the accident was maybe I was dunking a basketball over Michael Jordan or something, but nothing <laughs> you like that. Say that. No, no, no I wish I could. Expect- <laughs> uh, but it was simply, I love taking nature photography pictures. And I, while I was doing that and I was coming back, I slipped on and actually somersaulted into the street, the elbow taking most of the blunt of the accident and ended up shattering the elbow and actually... Um, also, it uh, tore many of my ligaments, so so it was painful. It was scary. I was terrified, uh, and uh, I've been very open about it with my staff as well, sharing my feelings as we went along. What was interesting about that is when you suddenly don't have a use of a limb, it also teaches you humility uh, because now you're suddenly dependent on many many individuals. It also taught me even more about access. I'm a huge accessibility advocate on our campus. But this even opened my eyes to even providing better accessible technology to our campus community. Something as simple as writing a document and putting 15 links in that document. When somebody sends me that document with my non-dominant hand, I have trouble opening the document. Leveraging tools such as dictation softwares. Some work well and some don't. And frustration around learning those. And how do you ensure that you're really thinking about your users? You're really thinking about that colleague of yours who may be visual impaired. And if they're visual impaired and if you're sending a picture, do you have alt text in that picture? We're having a renewed conversation around it based on my personal experience. And, you know, I'm blessed enough where it's only one hand. I've had a lot of other colleagues who had more severe injuries, unfortunately, or have had other situations. It is our responsibility to ensure that we are deploying accessible technology. It is our responsibility to work with uh, colleagues across the country, vendor community, to ensure that in all of their roadmaps, they have plans for deploying accessible technology because it's not something, in my view, optional. It's something we should do. That's the right thing to do. Absolutely. All right, Ravi, this has been really, really informative. Do you have anything else that you want to highlight that we haven't touched on yet? Just one thing. I mean, I really want to call out my incredible staff colleagues across this campus who worked really, really hard on this project, very passionate. And that's why we were able to successfully do this uh, in eight months. And also I wanna call out uh, our vendor partners who were great in terms of helping us manage supply chain and other issues, because without their cooperation, this wouldn't have happened either. So really it was a great project where people came together, uh, believed in the cause and got it done. And uh, it's it's been exciting. And I think uh, more things will continue to happen in that space. Fantastic. All right, Ravi Pinsi, VP for IT and CIO at the University of Michigan. Thank you so much for making time on this busy day to join us here on The Signal. No, thank you, Martha. Thank you for your time. I'm grateful to all of you for this opportunity. Yeah, I think everybody can really learn a lot from your comments, and it's fantastic what you've accomplished. So thank you again, and thank you all for joining us. As always, you can find more Wi-Fi resources in the show notes and at Wi-Fi Alliance. That's y-fi.org. Thank you for joining us and please join us again next time on The Signal.